Hey friends, welcome back to the catwalk. My name is Clark Cowden. I'm your host for this podcast and want to thank you for joining with me again for this week's message. Today we are continuing our summer series on the questions of faith, and today we are looking about questions of race. Uh, race has become a common conversation here in the United States. Uh, there's been a lot of racial issues and tensions in the last year and a lot of uh, discussions about what should be going on and what shouldn't be going on. So today we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about some of these issues we've been dealing with and to try to break out of some of the ruts that we get stuck in and see how our faith impacts this conversation and the attitudes that we have towards one another about race. I invite you to sit back and relax and reflect on this message on questions about faith and race. When Cavass Harding was appointed the pastor of the Del Rose United Methodist Church in Wichita, Kansas, it was a homecoming for him. He was a former star college football player who had been offered a tryout with the Kansas City Chiefs. He had served as a police officer in the very neighborhood that would now be his parish. Delrose was near one of the largest Methodist African-American churches in the city and a place where Cavass had been trained as an associate pastor. Delrose was mostly white, mostly aging and declining when he started there in August of 1998. When he arrived, the church that had once had over 500 people was now down to 131 with only about 65 in worship. The church was declining, but the neighborhood was growing. The neighborhood had changed from mostly white to mostly African-American, and they hoped an African-American pastor could help the church grow once again. The Methodist Book of Discipline charges every pastor and congregation to make every effort to alter its programs to meet the needs and cultural patterns of the new residents of the community. This meant that the church had some serious changes they needed to make. They assured him they were ready to do that and they wanted him to lead. But he soon discovered they didn't really mean it. Within six months, all but 25 people had left the church. Two different initiatives to have him removed as their pastor had failed. The church was in crisis. Cavass called that time the Exodus. He said it was so painful that he almost quit the ministry. He felt like he had been tricked. He had started reaching out to the black community the church was located in, but he soon learned the white people in the church didn't want the black people to actually be a part of the church. When black people started coming, church members became enraged. They became angry because they were bringing in the neighborhood kids. 
Cavass had always known that racism existed in America, but he never thought he would experience it in the church. He was 30 years old, and he felt like he was getting smacked in the face with racism. Today, some 20 years later, it still brings him to tears. The good news is that somehow he survived. Today, that church has over 800 members and is a thriving part of its neighborhood. But it wasn't easy. The experience took its toll on him. There were many days of deep discouragement and despair. He said that without his wife and a strong support system, he probably would not have survived. Racism is a common topic today. Unfortunately, much of the conversation is dominated by the far left and the far right. And it can be hard to have a civil, reasonable conversation about it. Some people have a quick, knee-jerk reaction to the whole conversation because it can feel like we're just pointing fingers and trying to blame somebody else. But we know in the church that the goal is to fix the problem, not the blame. The problem is that some Christians don't know what the Bible says about the sin of racism. And we know how easy it is to be blind to our own prejudicial attitudes. Two months ago, on April 22nd, the United States Senate cast a stunning vote by a 94 to 1 margin to pass a bill that addressed the rise in hate crimes against Asian Americans during the COVID-19 pandemic. It's been so long since we've had our two political parties in Washington agree on anything that a 94 to 1 vote shows us that both sides have seen the increase in problems that are rooted in race. We've also seen a resurgence of racism against Jewish people recently which is a historic prejudice that seems to be growing once again. Tim Scott is the only black Republican member of the U.S. Senate. He is a Christian. He has talked about how he has experienced insults to his dignity that other minorities recognize are part and parcel of life in America. He has been followed in stores and pulled over for no reason while driving. When our brothers and sisters in Christ tell us these things, we need to listen. So what does our faith have to say about the racial sins that exist in our world? There are four underlying principles we see in the Bible. The first one is all the way back in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, which says this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's four principles about race that we find in the Bible. This is the first one. It teaches us that we are all created in the image of God. No matter whether someone believes in Jesus or not, all of us somehow bear the image of God. It doesn't matter if your skin color is black or white or brown or yellow or something else. We are all created in the image of God, so we need to treat all people with dignity and respect. We are all part of the human race. No race is better than another. No race is superior. We are equal in God's sight. A second principle in the Bible is that all of us have sinned against God. In Genesis 3, the very first human beings disobeyed God and were removed from the Garden of Eden. Ever since then, every person born into this world has been born with a sin nature. There is something wrong with every one of us at the deepest level of our hearts. So Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God doesn't matter what our skin color is. There's something wrong with every one of us. A third principle we see in the Bible is that we are our brother's keeper. In Genesis 4-9, after Cain murders his brother Abel, it says, The Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? God's implied answer is, yes, you are your brother's keeper. This means that as Christians, we are concerned when other people are harmed. We are not just concerned for ourselves. God calls us to be concerned for other people. God cares that justice be done, and if it isn't, we need to work to correct the injustices. Simple justice says that when someone is harmed, they or their heirs should receive some kind of redress. If the harm is grave enough, justice also demands punishment. For justice to be biblical, it must be impartial. Everyone should be treated the same. About a month ago was the one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd. It was the 100-year anniversary of the Tulsa massacre against their Black Wall Street. And yesterday was the Juneteenth anniversary, commemorating when slaves in Texas finally learned that the Civil War was over. These events prompt us to ask biblical questions. Are we being our brother's keeper? Are we seeing biblical justice being extended equally to all people? Personally, I would say 
that the vast majority of police shootings in our country are legally justified. But what do we do when they aren't? For example, in 2015, a South Carolina jury could not reach a verdict, even when video evidence showed police shooting an unarmed black man named Walter Scott in the back as he slowly ran away. Even when the video showed the police officer planting an object next to his body as he lay dying on the ground, the jury still hung. <clears throat> the officer later pleaded guilty to federal civil rights charges. Was that biblical justice? We have audio evidence of Philando Castile calmly informing an officer that he is lawfully carrying a firearm. He complies with every one of the officer's requests, but suddenly the officer panics, shoots, and kills him right in front of his girlfriend and his young child. We have video evidence of the shooting of Daniel Shaver, who was crying, crawling, and begging for his life. But when his pants started to fall down and he reached to pull them up, the officer panicked and shot and killed him. A jury acquitted him of all charges. While most police shootings are justified, these were not. Are we seeing the kind of justice the Bible talks about? Are all people being treated equally? It seems as if our racial attitudes are leading us to different conclusions and different decisions for people of different colors. Working for justice is a common theme in the Bible that God wants us to care about. What we often don't hear about is that following the George Floyd murder, following Ferguson, Missouri, and other places, these tragic events have spurred many Christians from different churches in these local communities to come together to pray for their cities, to bring people together, and to help people deal with their anger and their hurt and their pain. There are Christians working quietly under the radar to rebuild their communities, to build trust, and to mend fences between police and community members of different races. The church is bringing about healing and reconciliation. The church is making a real difference in cities and in individual lives and is building bridges between races. A fourth principle we see in the Bible is that the gospel is for all people. This idea runs throughout the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis 12, 3, God tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The good news of the Bible and the blessings that come from it are intended for all people in the world. In Revelation 7, 9, it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, 
from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Some people used to think that Christianity was the white man's religion, but this is not true. Christianity is the most diverse, most multi-ethnic, and most multicultural religion in the world. In 2010, the Pew Forum estimated that about 65% of the Christians in the world lived in South America, Africa, and Asia. Most of these Christians are Black, Asian, and Hispanic. Since then, the church has been growing faster in Africa than anywhere else in the world, while it has been declining in Europe and North America. This means that white people do not make up the majority of the Christian church in the world. We are part of a global faith. And because Revelation tells us that at the end of time, people will be worshiping God from every nation, tribe, people, and language, we need to love people of all colors and backgrounds and work for just conditions for all of God's children. As Christians, I think it's important to celebrate the progress that has been made while working on problems that continue to linger. For example, in 1995, the Southern Baptist Convention that originally was founded around the time of the Civil War to preserve the right of white Christians to own black slaves, publicly repented of its racist origins. They passed a resolution which said, we lament and repudiate historic acts of evil, such as slavery, from which we continue to reap a bitter harvest. And we recognize that racism which yet plagues our culture today, is inextricably tied to the past. We commit ourselves to eradicate racism in all its forms from Southern Baptist life and ministry. This shows a mature awareness of problems that have existed since their founding. It was a straightforward statement of repentance and a realization that they are still wrestling with ongoing issues today. Changing attitudes and cultures takes time. In 2012, a man by the name of Fred Luter became the first black president of the Southern Baptist Convention. The percentage of their churches that are considered to be multi-ethnic is now growing. As of 2012, 25% of Catholic churches were multi-ethnic, and about 12% of Protestant churches are now multi-ethnic. In 2018, the Southern Baptist Convention voted to officially expel one of its churches for racism. The Raleigh White Baptist Church has seen its membership dwindle down from over 200 people to about 20 people. 
The church was located in the mostly black town of Albany, Georgia. It had agreed to share its building with a black church called New Seasons, in which they hoped would be a mutually beneficial agreement. But the relationship quickly soured when the white members treated the black members so poorly. When the White Baptist Church had planned a homecoming Sunday, they advised the black church that they would have to change the time of their service to a later hour. The members of the black church agreed. But when some of the black members showed up early to set up for their service, they were not allowed into the building. The white people were allowed in the church building, but the black people were not. As a result, the local Baptist Association expelled the Raleigh White Baptist Church. When the National Southern Baptist Convention saw clear evidence of racial discrimination, they expelled them too. A spokesman for the church said, we wanted to think that this was something besides racism, but it just became overly clear that it was a component of what was going on. We could not associate with that anymore. When you hear one of the most conservative churches in the country talking this way, it makes you take notice. In a time when it seems like so many Christians' attitudes about race are shaped more by their politics than by their faith, it's good to know that there are still people who are willing to take biblical, uncomfortable, and unpopular positions because they believe this is what God calls us to, to do. Conversations about race are hard to have in our culture today. Some people get very emotional, some get angry or defensive, and some don't listen. The Bible calls us to humbly examine our own lives all the time and continue to ask the Holy Spirit to change whatever attitudes in us need to change and to have the courage to work for a better world. If you look at the history of our country and our world, there are so many incidents of racial hatred and discrimination in our past. It's important not to lose sight of how far we have come and how much better things are today than they used to be. It's also important to be aware that we have not arrived at God's perfect world yet. We still have lingering issues we need to deal with, problems we have not yet solved, and situations that need to be corrected. But as Christians, we always want to be guided by these four principles we find in the Bible. One, Every person is created in the image of God. Two, all of us have sinned against God. Three, we are our brother's keeper. And four, the gospel is for all people. God bless. Stay safe. See you soon.